Welcome to Calvary Life. This is the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church for Calvary members mainly, but uh, we know we have some other folks who listen and enjoy hearing a couple of pastors talk about church life, so we're glad you're with us today. Uh, I'm Charles Uptane, and I have with me today... Paul Thompson. Yes, and uh, it's good to see you back, Paul, from vacation. Uh, let you know that Zach and Reagan did a good job last week covering for you, and we talked about camp and had a good good conversation about what student and children's camp does for the church and for the church life. So it was it was a good conversation, I think. It's always good to hear feedback, too, from, from these podcasts. So I got some good feedback from that one from some parents, how beneficial that was to them. And you know, particularly the younger generation, maybe the more podcast-savvy generation, seems like every week I get some feedback from somebody in their teens or 20s that are listening. So much appreciate. Shout out to you guys for for listening. And pass the word, particularly if this is helpful or beneficial or stimulate some other discussion. And as always, if you have questions, something that you want to hear us talk about or you want to know, what's our take, what's the church's take, or how is the church responding, reacting, addressing that situation or concern or question, whatever it may be, shoot those our way. You can always... Uh, Email us at podcast at calvarydothan.com. Yeah, and, and in fact, that's kind of what we're going to do today is just some, some questions that we've heard, and so we want to just uh, kind of try to answer those. Um, first thing, though, Paul, actually, you mentioned something uh, Sunday in, in the sermon, uh, especially that I think you had some feedback from, and I just want to give you a chance to speak a little bit more to that. And you actually talked about it, I guess, a couple of weeks on Wednesday as well, is, is the definition of sin and, uh, and really what uh, we should be thinking about that as, as a church and as Christians when it comes to sin. Yeah, let me, let me preface that with this. So sometimes things will just pop into my head during a sermon that I hadn't really thought about before that very moment when I'm standing there. And so then it doesn't smoothly integrate or I'll forget how to connect it or to conclude it. So I'd mentioned something about, this was from a recent sermon, and I actually addressed this more thoroughly on a Wednesday night a few weeks ago. And so we'll, we'll play that little clip of me addressing that, the definition of sin, and really two very disparate views of sin. One of them is very man-centered. And so you're going to hear that when you listen to Andy Stanley's recent message on what sin is. Very, very man-centered. And then one is very, very God-centered. And how does one how does sin really defile us and defile the image of God in us, and how does it defile the glory of God through us? Well, John Piper does a beautiful job of giving what I think is a far more biblical explanation of sin. So what I was saying in the message was this is a poor view of sin that Stanley is giving, and I think it's a pervasive one. And so my challenge to our people is I don't think we take sin seriously enough. Yeah. I know, in fact, when we were talking about what we might do as a big, almost like a Bible conference, that was one of the things that you mentioned that you would be thinking about doing because you think that is something that our culture, and especially even us, we don't take enough seriousness of sin. And where that came from was this. I was thinking about even in preaching. So I've been preaching about 25 years now, and I was thinking in the past, you can simply say, you can show from the scriptures, the congregation, this is wrong, this is a sin, and then you would expect prayerfully... The Holy Spirit's going to work, going to bring conviction to those people, and a number of those people are going to repent, and they're going to be looking at ways to not sin like that anymore, whatever yeah. that means. How do I, how do I uh, cut off those temptations? How do I drill down through the desires that are leading me here? But it seems like increasingly now, maybe they wouldn't say it. It's not explicit, but really, by practice, sin doesn't really matter. So it's like our, our view of sin and God's grace are just really skewed. I yeah. think the Apostle Paul would have a field day with us right now. If you read Romans chapter 6, I think he'd be pointing that finger directly at us. How can we 
who were dead to sin live any longer therein. We just we just gotten it wrong, you know. And so much of the worst teaching that we see in pop Christianity today is an abuse of grace. And so that was really my challenge. So listen to this clip, and you'll get an idea of what we were talking about, what I was speaking of, what I was thinking of in my mind when I said it Sunday. When Jesus showed up, it was the temple model, and the temple, the message of the temple model was this. When you sin, you break God's law. The Jesus model sounded like this. When you sin, you break yourself and others, which breaks God's heart. Yeah, and if you have more questions about that, uh, you can always email Paul specifically or ask him on Sunday. And um, just a great way to hear um, some other pastors that we uh, listen to, you may hear some very well-known people, what they think and what they have preached on sin and what, what Paul was really trying to get to on Sunday. All right, another question for you, Paul, uh, something that I got this past week when you were not here by one of our, our faithful members who uh, just really comes sometimes with some really good questions, uh, and we're dealing with a bylaws uh, amendment this, this week as we look at our members meeting, and one of the big things in there that the bylaws committee is putting forward to the church is to add the New Hampshire Confession of Faith as one of our statements of faith in our bylaws as a church. So um, his question was, why would we need to add that statement when we already have the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 as a part of our, or as our statement of faith, when a lot of the, um, a lot of it is taken, a lot of the Baptist Faith and Message wording is from the New Hampshire. So why do we need to be specific and add that as well? I think that's a good question. It's a fair question. And let me answer these that question in several different ways, not necessarily in order of importance, but all of these factor in. One, the Baptist faith and message is, by design, a necessarily broad statement. And it's written in such a way that, really, if you press in on several of the points, you can interpret them differently. So the Baptist faith and message was written to be as inclusive as possible, yet still drawing necessary theological boundaries. And so in that sense, it's good. One of the challenges to the Baptist faith and message is, and we just saw this in action at our most recent annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention, is that the Baptist faith and message is a living document. It's still fluid. And so that's why we, as you mentioned, you said the 2000 version. Well, the first iteration was 1925, and it was a little more closely aligned with the New Hampshire Confession. In fact, it was drawn basically from the New Hampshire Confession. Um, but now we have a, a statement of faith. Well, we have the Baptist faith and message, which again, this is the identifying document or the coalescing document for Southern Baptists. So we say at the very least we agree with these things. But we see there's some fluidity to it, and there were some changes even made at this last annual meeting. So what I would say is this. One, the New Hampshire Confession is an unchanging document, it's a historical document, and no one's going to go back and revise it because then, well, obviously it's not the New Hampshire Confession anymore. It's something else. It's the Dothan, Alabama Confession or whatever. And so it's a fixed document, so we can look back at that and say, this is not changing. We agree with this. But more specifically, this ties us to the historical roots of our faith, I think, even better. I think it's more clarifying um, I think it's rooted in, I think the, the Baptist faith and message is a derivative from it, but if we want to drill down to, say, more original documents and statements, I think the one that best defines what Baptists have been historically yeah. and what we want to align ourselves with and how we want to constantly be returning to historical, biblical, theological orthodoxy 
then the New Hampshire Confession does that. And in some areas, it's just a little bit more specific for us. And so I think, here's my take on this, Charles. In the times in which we live, we need more clarity on our confessions. We need more clarity on what we believe. We need more certainty. As I teach in the membership class, this helps people who want to join our church so they know. They can understand right up front, this is what we what we teach. This helps our teachers so they know what boundaries should I be teaching in in order to be handling this with integrity in this church. Uh, this helps our members to know and to understand and to express and explain. And everything that is in the New Hampshire Confession has its clear uh, roots in Scripture. And so when we distribute this to our people, what you'll see posted on the website, you can look under it and you'll see multiple scripture verses. Everything is thoroughly rooted in scripture. This is not a replacement for the Bible. I understand that some people say, well, I don't I don't need anything but the Bible. I believe the Bible. Well, everybody believes something about the Bible. Yeah. So the New Hampshire Confession for us, this creed, it's not the whole gamut. It's not the whole boat. It's just an anchor. It's an anchor for us to, to keep rooted in our historical faith. And in that sense, I think it's extremely helpful for identifying today. And and again, this is a bigger discussion, a wider discussion. Some of this came into play at the most recent annual meeting. But there's a wide variety, a, a lot of disparity in belief and practice, even among Southern Baptists. Mm-hmm. Who do we who do we ordain? Who will we marry? What do we believe about spiritual gifts? Um, what do we believe about, well, just so many different things. There's just a lot of variety there. And I think the New Hampshire Confession says, we're Baptists, but this is the sort of Baptist that we are. Yeah, and that was kind of my, that was my answer to to the church member was, hey, um, I think it. I think we believe both of them do very good at helping us put those parameters around things, but it really just ties us to our roots. I mean, that's really what I emphasized there was it shows that we are about it being a historical Baptist, so to speak, of things that we see that are where our denomination has come from, and even before it was formerly a denomination, where things were, and that's what it ties us to. So, you know, for that person who would be concerned about it, I don't know the person that you talked to, but I would say our attempt is is really to just root us more firmly in historical, biblical, evangelical, Baptist theology. Yeah, cool. All right, well, a couple more questions, and these, these I guess, deal with this coming Sunday. We um, you know, this Sunday is the Sunday before July 4th. It always has um, different uh, flavor to it in a way that we, we try to have it in the sanctuary because we know some people will be on vacation, of course, this weekend. And uh, it just gives it a different uh, flavor to the service to be able to be in the sanctuary and worship there, which is a, a great experience. But there's also, in the past, I would say there's been a lot of... Um, a lot more, I guess, maybe we'll see some churches this weekend that'll do God and country services kind of things. And um, just have you got any thoughts to that of of, of how we, um, what we do when it comes to um, maybe recognizing the country, recognizing July the 4th as being Independence Day uh, as a church, but then uh, what we don't do when it comes to maybe um, a full-blown, what some churches would call a God and country day? Foundationally, I want us to always be thinking, realizing that just as we sing in the old hymn, this world is not our home, we're just passing through. We have and we live for a greater city, a greater kingdom. And so in that sense, when we gather on Sunday mornings, we're primarily, as 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, we're primarily recognizing our relationship to Jesus as our king. 
and that our kingdom is not of this world, and we're ambassadors of Christ. So in that sense, I'm leery of those services that, that overemphasize our relationship to this world, even this, this country. And I think some of those things that you, we see typically in those God and country type services, here's my take. I think those are entirely appropriate for Christians to get together and do and sing those patriotic songs and demonstrate a love for country. I think we're grossly lacking in patriotism. Uh, I saw some clips on the news the other night of people who interviewed on the street, didn't know who the first president was, didn't know what the capital of the United States was, didn't know how many stars were on the flag or what the stars even represented. I mean, good grief. We're in terrible times. I think those are entirely appropriate things to do. I don't think they're appropriate things to do for worship. Yeah. So I think our distinction is this is the Lord's day, and so we want to honor him above all. So my tendency would be to shun those things that are good things but lesser things. Um, you might love the state that you live in, but we don't celebrate being Alabamians or here. We don't celebrate our city. We don't celebrate those things in worship. Now, again, I, I'm all for, man, I, I – I have the flag flying from my house. I'll have, you know, I'll be the first one there at the fireworks display and and singing the songs and that sort of thing because I do love the country I'm from and I'm very grateful that God has blessed me here. But as an act of worship, I want to keep our focus on that always. Now, what's shifted a little bit for me in the thinking is, and why we're going to acknowledge, we're going to acknowledge the holiday on Sunday, and we're going to sing a little bit of of our spiritual and for lack of a better word, political history, God of our fathers, whose almighty hand will sing this hymn. But our challenge today now, and I'm going to be speaking to this in an upcoming message series, our challenge today now is to recognize we don't live in those days anymore. The Puritans set about in the founding of the Massachusetts colony to literally begin a city set on a hill, um, a city that was thoroughly Christian, thoroughly Christian and governed by Christians and governed by the laws of Scripture and not even allowing people who weren't Christians to live there. If you denied Christ, you could face a death penalty there. They set up to do it. We don't have it. America's not a city set on a hill. We're not that biblical city. The church is. And as Christians, we have to we have to consider in the times in which we live much more like Babylon than the New Jerusalem, much more like Sodom and Gomorrah than the city of God. Um, how do we respond? How do we live? So our focus on this day will be acknowledging God's blessings to us in the past, but also acknowledging the realities of the times in which we live and how can we be praying? How can we be praying repentance corporately for the sins of this of the world that we live in? How can we be praying for our leaders, so many of whom, the vast majority of whom, have turned absolutely against Christianity? We're in the crosshairs now of culture, government, commerce, society, et cetera, what should Christians be doing? So we're going to be talking about that. How do we stand as a Christian people? So again, we'll acknowledge it, but our primary celebration is always going to be we're Christians first, yeah. and we want to honor God and his kingdom. And so that's kind of what will temper our approach. So you know, I don't want people to be disappointed that we're not having a patriotic service per se. I think it's fine to love your country, and I really think that you should, particularly if God has blessed you to be living here. Um, but at the same time, we want to make sure that we're honoring Christ. Yeah, in some ways, I think you know, thinking about where we are today and the culture we're in, we're we're almost and and I, I point to scripture for this. We're almost um, back to where the um, early church was when it comes to a a, a like you said a, an antagonistic government and seeing things in the world of what was in Rome 
um, and what was the Roman Empire about really is closer to what we see than maybe what our dads and uh, family saw back in the 70s or whenever we would say that the 50s, whenever we would say that the, the country looked more like what we think of a Christian country would look like. And so it's almost easier nowadays to look at the passages like even we'll look at Sunday in Titus chapter 3, the first two verses where it tells us to submit to authorities. Well, the reason, I mean, to me that's, that shows us it's difficult. It's not easy to to submit to the authorities that we see, you know. And then we've got even Romans. You know, one of my favorite passages is Romans thirteen, where he, where Paul again talks to them about submitting to the authorities that God is the one who puts them in in positions. And how do we look at our country and think that? And what do we do with it as believers? So that challenges uh, challenges us on a few related issues. We see now the the necessity, the absolute importance of praying for our leaders. If we trust in the sovereignty of God, if we trust that God is involved in the means and the ends, then the means to accomplishing his will and purposes in the world is prayer, one of the primary means, if not the primary means. So we really ought to be praying. Um, It's much easier to tweet about President Biden. Um, We should be praying. And that's not just a cop-out. I mean, I'm talking about serious praying. We need to pray that God would change his heart, that God would save him our senators, our, our congresspeople, et cetera. I mean, we live in, in a godless culture increasingly, and you're right, it's antagonistic, so we do pray. But we're also called in that tension, just like they were, as you mentioned, in the first century, where Christians are a decided minority now. Yeah. So you got the, t- the tension of Peter, James, and John told not to preach this name anymore, right. not to speak of him anymore. And their response is, we have to obey God rather than men. So we're caught in this tension, and it's a tough one, where we've got to dis- discern rightly and apply the Scriptures rightly between the tension of we're not anarchists. We can't just say we don't have government. We have to recognize that government is a design of God for the good of people. So let's pray that we have a better government, and let's work hard to elect better government. I was talking with someone today and said, would it be wrong of us to try to even say in our own congregation, to try to stir our people, encourage our people, why don't you run to be a council person. Why don't you run for... And we should. We should yeah. be pushing that. We should be promoting them. We should be voting for them. Um, I don't want to lose track of where I'm going, but so we're in that tension. We fight for the good. We pray for the good. And we recognize we're not anarchists. And yet, as we're going to talk about in this next series, using Daniel as an example in the Old Testament, we're not going to bow before false gods. Right. So come come and listen to that because that's you know it's a challenging thing to work through in the scriptures but it's also a challenging thing to to apply but for us in the context of say this week you know, we'll acknowledge the blessings of God in our history and we'll acknowledge not just to be reminiscent you know not just to be nostalgic about the good old days but recognize look what God has done but look where we are what now should we do you know how in the coining the words of Francis Schaeffer in his classic book, How Should We Then Live? That's our answer. This is, this is where we are. How should we then live is, is really our challenge in light of all these things. Yeah, and you know, even the, the verse, uh, Titus 3, verse 1 and 2, really, and I'm going to use this as the, um, as the call to worship Sunday, and, and even in verse 2, it's just uh, Paul's words are so strong when it comes to what we're to do with this, these authorities that are against us. It says, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. That's a challenge in today to to the balance of standing up for the faith, up for truth, for what God has given us as truth, um, but also being submissive when it comes to and realizing that God has 
and in his sovereignty put the authorities over us that he has. Yeah, I, you know, I was thinking about this the other day because you know my kids are older now. We're empty nesters, but I do have a granddaughter, two years old. You have still kids at home, and there is a temptation, or if temptation is the right word, there's a there's a pressure on us to really fear, I think, sometimes the future. I, I hear this sentiment expressed. In one way or another, it sounds like this. Um, I'm fearful for the world my kids are going to grow up in or the world my grandkids are going to grow up in. I don't want this for them. But if you and I have the right sense and a strong sense of God's sovereignty, we have to also trust then that God was not ignorant of the times in which we would live in. We are still his people. He's not forgotten us. He's made his promise to never leave us or forsake us. He gives us everything we need for life and godliness. We know the promise of victory that we have in Scripture. What if we took more of a mindset to, for such a time as this, God has us here, just like Esther, very difficult times not to be cowered from, um, not to be embittered about, not to try to flee from, but okay, we're here. What does God want us to do now? You know, I mentioned Francis Schaeffer a moment ago. That book that I mentioned, he wrote this back in 1976. So you're thinking, you know, how much of this world has changed since 1976? Um, I hate to sound political, but if you thought we had a bad president in 76, you could not imagine what was coming in 2023. But Francis Schaeffer wrote, and, and think about this. Think about the shifting tides that he saw even back then. By the way, I was born that year. Okay, so that. perfect. This is perfect. So I was, I was seven. It says, as the more Christian-dominated consensus weakened, the majority of people adopted two impoverished values, personal peace and affluence. So he says, this is where our society was going. He, he was predicting this back in 76. He says, personal peace means just to be left alone, to not be troubled by the troubles of other people, whether across the world or across the city, to live your life with minimal possibilities of being personally disturbed. And then affluence is just an overwhelming and ever-increasing prosperity, a life made up of things more and more uh, based on how much do you have and how much can you enjoy. And I thought, you know, this is exactly where we were just a few years ago. And this was the argument we were hearing from the pride community, the LGBTQ plus community. Listen, we just want to be left alone. If you don't believe in gay marriage, um, then, then don't. Don't practice it. Don't practice it. (laughs) You know, what concern of it is, is of yours, what we do in our privacy, our homes. And we've seen, if it, it doesn't concern you, so don't worry about us. We just want to be left alone, shifted to now. This is our new religion. Yeah. You, ha- you have to accept this. You have to endorse this. You have to teach this in your schools. You have to embrace this in your churches. You have to um, put this into legislation. And ever since um, the Oberfeld decision, it's been legislated. People say we well, can't legislate morality. Well, the LGBTQI plus community would say the opposite. They have legislated it. And so now we see parades happening in New York City where men – or parading around naked in front of children, which five years ago would have put them in prison for sex crimes, and now it's being celebrated and embraced. I yeah. saw our um, what is what's Rachel Levine's real name? I can't I can't keep up with all this. <laughs> our crazy transgendered um, sec assistant secretary what is she? of health. Yeah, not she. I'm not going to validate that. What is he? What's his real name? Never oh, mind. This is an aside. <laughs> and he said it's not just Pride Month. Let's celebrate Pride Summer. Have a Pride Summer. No, this is a Pride culture that we live in. How did we get here? And then, so what's the response to that? So near the end of the book, listen to what he said. Again, 1976. So Charles, this is just when you're coming on the scene. He says, as Christians, we're not only to know the right worldview, 
the worldview that tells us the truth of what is, but we are to consciously act upon that worldview so as to influence society in all of its parts and facets across the whole spectrum of life as much as we can to the extent of our individual and collective ability. Man, if that was true in 76, how much more true is that today? And that's, that's our challenge. Yeah. That's our challenge challenge. in how do we live in this culture like that? We've got to do everything that we can, individually and collectively, collectively as a church, collectively as the body of Christ, with other churches that are like-minded, do all that we can to influence this society for the good. Yeah, so so maybe that's a plug for Sunday. Uh, We know it is a a vacation weekend, uh, probably the biggest vacation weekend of our year. But if you're in Dothan, um, come be a part of the service. It'll be a good time, a good for us to turn to God once again and worship Him, and uh, but also acknowledge where we live and acknowledge the times that we live in. So I'm I'm excited about Sunday. I hope you'll come and and maybe if you can't be here, um, you know, listen to it later. Uh, we'll have it up on the on the website and uh, be a part of it that way. So um, anything, any final thoughts, Paul? I guess just back to that idea of of what we do on this day closest to our nation's birthday, the date of independence is we just want to be real careful that we're not just simply saying euphemisms of God bless America, et cetera, when we're living in a way that's outside of God's blessing. And we have to recognize that, um, that we need to call our people to repentance. We need to call them back to scriptures. We need to call them back to what does the Bible teach. And if this reeks a little bit to you of of what you're hearing more and more out there today of Christian nationalism, um, let me share this thought by, by Doug Wilson in his book, Mere, Mere Christendom. He says, as we proceed, remember that we must always hold on to the truth represented by not whether, but which. It's not whether we're going to be governed by Christ, but rather which Christ will be governed by. The lordship of Christ is not an option that we might select from a row of numerous options. It's Christ or chaos. It's Christ or the Antichrist. And that's kind of what we're looking at today. So again, that's going to be our challenge. And I'm so thankful that God allow me to be born here. I'm so thankful for the freedom still afforded here. I'm so thankful that we can still gather and freely preach the Bible. Um, I'm so thankful that we can still call everybody to repentance from the president down and not have to fear arrest yet, but we need to take seriously our call as Christians in this world. So I guess kind of as I was thinking through this, as you asked me that question a moment ago, where it converges for me is our our primary arena of missions still is our own country. Yeah. So we acknowledge that, we, and we acknowledge God's blessings here, but we also acknowledge the challenges of living faithfully in this world that is in this country that is becoming less and less and less Christian. All right. Well, that uh, that'll wrap up another week of Calvary Life. And uh, like I said, or Paul said earlier, if you have questions, email us at. Uh, podcast at calvarydothan.com and we'd love to hear from you that way and uh, remember once again we are for God for Dothan and for the world